Welcome to another edition of Stokes and Folks. I'm your host, Spencer Stokes, and I'm really excited today about our guest uh, because this person has the the direct connection to probably the most famous political photograph of Utah. And it's, it's Mac Haddow was our guest today who's been involved in politics, both on the state and national level for, we, we don't want to give away your age. So let's just say, you know, 40 years. That's fair. (laughs) (laughs) But when, when I first went back to Washington DC and was setting up Senator Lee's office, of course, they don't give any any art or photographs or the Senate doesn't have anything. You just kind of have to start scrounging. And uh, I knew that Ron Fox had, had gone through the Deseret News archives and had pulled out every single political photograph they had and had archived them. So I asked him to, hey, I said, we're, we're setting up a Ronald Reagan room, conference room. Would you please send me anything you have that we could you know, have framed, print out and have framed. One of those photographs was a photograph of Ronald Reagan and Orrin Hatch uh, at the state convention. And Ronald Reagan is leaning over the podium and petting an elephant. And uh, you came into the office, I think one day shortly after we had, we had, you know, put the pictures up and you told me the story behind that famous photograph. And it's a story that must be told so that everyone can hear it, not just a few of us. So tell us your involvement in, in the Orrin Hatch world. Uh, that This was, would have been 1976, I think. I first got involved in Hatch's campaign in 1976. I was a student at Brigham Young University, uh, finishing up my college work. And Orrin Hatch uh, announced on the last day, that anyone could file for the Senate race, that he had done that. Uh, he was the, the fifth of five Republican candidates in the Republican convention. I called him up because uh, his mother and father had been like surrogate parents to my family, my brothers and I, when we were growing up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And it's I, all about the Pittsburgh connection. Exactly. Right? And I asked him, what can I do to help you? And he said, well, he said, uh, you're down in Utah County. I need you to start setting up candidate or meetings, meet the candidate uh, meetings with delegates. I volunteered and agreed to do that, started setting them up. And every date that I asked for from the Hatch campaign scheduling office, I got. And after about two or three weeks of that, getting absolutely no pushback, I finally asked, Utah County's obviously a big county, but it's the second biggest in the county. Why am I getting every date? And the scheduler said, because no one else is doing anything. And so- <laughs> Uh, That was my introduction into politics uh, with the Hatch campaign. I ended up with a series of events uh, running his campaign uh, for the remainder of that effort. And uh, he was very successful, obviously, in unseating what U.S. News and World Report had called the safest seat in the U.S. Senate that year, Frank Moss. Uh, And Frank was vulnerable. The people didn't see it early on uh, by this young upstart from Pittsburgh, as Frank Moss called him. uh, And he knocked him off. And it was a uh, and not just a little bit. It was 54, almost 55% of the vote went to Orrin Hatch in that year. So but he had to, you, you know, you brought up the fact there were five candidates. Um, did he have, he had a primary, he had to go through the convention. He did. And, and there were, were those other four candidates in the convention or what, what's your memory of the convention and then the primary if, or if he had one? Well, he did. He had, a, he had a primary uh, in the convention. All five were there until the end. 
uh, Des Barker uh, was a, a prominent political guy, uh, had a lot of a lot of followers. Uh, Sherm Lloyd, former congressman, obviously was a, a very powerful delegate. But the key guy was uh, Jack Carlson, who was the anointed person by then Senator Jay Garn, who looked at this race and said, you won't win this time, but you need to set yourself up meaning to Jack Carlson, for the next run. And so that was what they were doing. Uh, Orrin Hatch uh, had no intent of waiting for the next run. He was going to win this one. He ended up second place behind Jack Carlson in the convention. Uh, so it was a primary between Jack Carlson and Orrin Hatch. It was. Interesting. Interesting. And, and, and he, Jack Carlson, had the machine of Jake Garn behind him. I'm the assuming. big machine, yes. Yeah. Yes. And uh, what happens next? Well, the, or, Oren, uh, of course, didn't know anything about the protocols of politics, nor did I. I'd never worked in a campaign before. And so after he got out of the convention, uh, we called Ronald Reagan because the difference between Jack Carlson and Ronald and, and Oren Hatch was Ronald Reagan. Jack Carlson was a, a Garn devotee who supported the president, uh, uh, Ford. And, uh, and, of course, the battle was between Ford and Reagan at the time. Reagan had just lost uh, in the convention. Uh, to President Ford. And so, uh, but he had made a pledge that he was going to support candidates that supported his view and philosophy about government. So we called him up and asked if he would support Warren in the, in the primary against Jack Carlson. Uh, it was a foolish thing to do uh, by all political standards because, you know, Ronald Reagan simply wouldn't get involved in a, in a campaign like that against a fellow Republican. But lo and behold, he did. But Oren had been supportive of Reagan during the, I'm, I'm assuming during the the Ford run up to his uh, nomination. Is that right? From day one, it was because he believed in the philosophy that Ronald Reagan had. And uh, the trick we would pull on Jack Carlson people, we would say, okay, take your, your Carlson badge off, go up and ask uh, who you're for with hatch and he'll tell you. And he was always uh, Ronald Reagan. Uh, Do the same thing. If you had a hatch badge on, and you ask Jack Carlson, he would say, oh, I'm, I'm re- I really like Ronald Reagan. But if you had a, a, a Carlson badge on, it was I'm for the president, uh, you know, Ford at that time. Right. So, uh, th- there was no fidelity to that philosophy by Jack Carlson. And that's what ended up doing him in, in a conservative state that was obviously pro-Reagan. And, and so I don't remember if this was um, the state convention. I think it was in 19, was it in 1980 that the famous photograph was from? Or was it? No, it was 1980. Uh, Reagan became the presumptive nominee. Utah was the last state uh, convention prior to the national convention. Uh, So he had already uh, had the nomination in hand, but he came to Utah as part of his victory lap. Uh, I had the unfortunate uh, duty to be the state uh, chairman of the convention, helping with logistics. Okay. And uh, with the Secret Service now swooping in on everything, they were here for about a week, and they shut down everything that we had planned, including a marching band from Bountiful High School on the floor of the convention. They wouldn't allow balloons above the podium. They had to be in the back of the auditorium. All the things that are just sort of the, the things you expect in a convention they said no to because of security concerns and of course it was very frustrating dealing with them because we had made all these plans they wouldn't allow a a, uh, a choir to sing behind the the, uh, the presidential nominee and so it was a pretty bland kind of thing the night before at about 11 o'clock of the convention we had a fundraising event that we had the next uh, morning that was really mocking president carter uh, and it was called an inflation fighters breakfast and Ronald Reagan was our keynote speaker. And then, of course, he was going to be the keynote speaker in the convention. Which would be be kind of exciting because he was the nominee at that point. 
uh, for the Republican Party. He was running against Jimmy Carter, so he, it was the malaise of the Carter years. And Reagan, of course, was, you know, um, it's morning in America. Uh, and, and so very positive. And because I, I can't remember the last time we had a, a presidential nominee at our state convention. I, I think it's pretty much unheard of at the state convention. Yeah, they drop in and fly, fly back out as they're campaigning for a couple of hours. But to be overnight and have them at the convention, that'd be a big deal. It was. And uh, I got a tug on my sleeve at, at that late night and a young a fellow introduced himself and said, he said, I understand that you're running this thing. I said, well, uh, what do you need? He said, well, I'm here at the Salt Palace and I've got the circus. I'm the manager of the Barnum and Bailey Circus. Okay. He said, and I'm just one. He said, I'm a great Republican. He said, would you like to have an elephant, a real live elephant? <laughs> and, and I made a very difficult decision at that point uh, because I knew that if I ran that by the Secret Service, that that would be a no. But because it was late at night and this was an offer to be made first thing in the morning, I made an on-the-field decision and I said, that would be great. <laughs> and so, so we made these loose arrangements that at the appointed time, I would give him the signal and then the elephant would come in. I hadn't thought about how big the elephant was or how they would handle the elephant. I found that out uh, the next morning and just by happenstance, the uh, Secret Service detail uh, director was on my hip. Uh, I don't think he suspected we were doing anything. He might have. And uh, and I mean, let's let's take this back technology wise. You know, this wasn't when you just open your cell phone and call the elephant handler. Um, you didn't have any cell phones. No cell you phones. Probably had no radios. We, we this, did have radios, but they didn't have any, so they were connected. Okay, to us. all right. Okay. So we, we had no technology supporting this at that point. Okay, so so you've got the on your hip, you have the Secret Service agent, the Secret Service agent in charge, because there's always one on the ground in charge. His name was Mark Andrews, and Mark uh, and I had had a tense relationship for the prior week. Um, we had 4,000 people at this Inflation Fighters Breakfast, and you had the national media, the biggest media uh, group that the state, I think, had ever seen up to that point. And so they're all waiting for the, the nominee to come in. And, uh, and he was at the podium. He was at the actually the head table, which was elevated a bit above everyone else so that everyone could see him. And uh, at, the, at the appointed time, I signaled to let the elephant come in. So was the elephant the night before the convention, or was it the the, the day of the day of it was so, the morning of yeah. okay so this is you're describing the the convention not the the no this was the fight. breakfast this okay, was the, the breakfast, breakfast was a breakfast was morning yeah. okay so this was this was about uh, eight o'clock in the morning and so I gave the signal they threw open the door now what I hadn't understood was that the elephant handler was Tarzan and Tarzan <laughs> was dressed in a loincloth and that was it and he was a very well built gentleman and he brought the elephant in uh, and the, it, the the two things happened that I think drew the attention of everyone there. First was the elephant and the size of it. And, and then I think Tarzan, uh, for some people, thought that was you know pretty interesting. But just as the elephant came through the door, Mark Andrews threw himself in front of the elephant and he uttered a word that probably some had never heard before, uh, saying, what is that? Uh, in a more colorful way. And he started yelling, it's not been swept. It's not been swept. And that's because they hadn't swept it for explosives, obviously. And I hadn't even thought of that. I didn't know where you would put an explosive on an elephant. Well, and especially on Tarzan, if he only has a loincloth, it'd right. be tough. It would be tough. So Tarzan, who has got a big poker to handle the elephant, had no problem sweeping Mark Andrews, the Secret Service agent, right out of the way with the big poker. And he marched that elephant right up to the front 
And I'm the, sure uh, the place is going wild at this point. They, everybody broke out of their silence and started cheering. And uh, and as the elephant got there, it was the, the podium was higher than the elephant could just reach up. So he stood up on his hind legs and stuck his snout right into the plate of Ronald Reagan, who had been eating breakfast. Now, Ronald Reagan and Senator Hatch and Senator Garn had stood up. Right. And uh, the, then Governor Romney, or Governor Reagan, I'm sorry, said to Senator Hatch, what should I do? And Senator Hatch said, pet it. And so that was the famous photo, the, this, the, the Governor Reagan reaching out and petting the snout of the elephant. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing photo. Yeah. And the delight on Senator Hatch's face is hilarious, him applauding and, and, uh, and, and watching that. But it's, like I said, I think it is the single most famous, uh, you know, political photograph in in utah's history now what happened what was the what was the fallout from your on the field decision so as much delight as senator hatch had mark andrews didn't share that sentiment <laughs> and so he immediately uh gave the order that they were leaving uh that, that they were done that wheels up they called it and uh, that precipitated the discussion that led me into a meeting with nancy reagan and she had invited to be with her in the meeting, Marie Osmond, who had been invited to sing the national anthem at the convention where President Ray, or Governor Reagan was supposed to be the keynote speaker. Now, not any, no longer because they were going to go wheels up. And Mark Andrews explained the situation. And Nancy Reagan looked at me and said, I'd like you to explain yourself. And so I spent the next five minutes falling prostate, apologizing, say it was a terrible decision on my part. And that was the way it was. And, uh, and, and of course, Mark Andrews kept interrupting me and that did not go well with Nancy Reagan. And she kept telling him to be quiet until she could hear my apology, which I gave to her. Uh, and then there was a silence and Nancy Reagan just glared at me and I'm, I'm shrinking smaller and smaller as I'm watching this, seeing my career go up in smoke because I've made this horrible decision. And then Marie Osmond, who I was not particularly a fan of her music, but someone had a connection with her and invited her to speak or sing and the national anthem she said that's the greatest piece of showmanship i've ever heard of <laughs> and i immediately fell in love with marie Osmond. <laughs> you loved and her music at that I, point i did i loved every part of it <laughs> and uh and then uh mark andrews said well ma'am we're up in 20 wheels up in 20 minutes and nancy reagan said no you're free to leave but ronnie and i are staying and then marie Osmond said can you get the elephant for the convention <laughs> <laughs> and I said, you know, now I'm doubling down. I said, well, yeah, I and mean, we could get a high school band that's on call here. <laughs> so the elephant and the high school band from Bountiful High School marched behind the elephant up through the aisleways of the convention, and we had a grand time. And that un that was the story that led to that. There were repercussions later as I went to Washington and worked, and I had to go over to the White House on occasion. And uh, Mark Andrews was then the official detail leader for the Secret Service for <laughs> President Reagan, and he glared at me every time I showed up for meetings and uh, and he always knew i was coming because i was on the list oh yeah right? and he sure made a point of being there at the door to kind of escort me in, in in with the ice cold reception and i complained about that to a good friend of mine who was close to the president and they invited me to come over the president reagan was a great jokester and he invited me to come over to the the oval office and we had a meeting and the president was all in on this and he called mark andrews in and he said i understand you're giving my friend mac a hard time about the elephant situation <laughs> and mark is no sir no sir not at all and President Reagan said, oh, no, Max told me that he just feels really uncomfortable and unwelcome when he comes here to the White House. <laughs> and, oh, no, sir, no, sir, no, sir. And President Reagan said, well, do you think the next time he shows up and every time after that, that you can make sure that he feels comfortable? <laughs> <laughs> and 
good two, I, two to four. Mark Andrews was there every time I showed up at the White House after that. And, and with a smile on his face. And a handshake, which he'd never <laughs> given me before. And so all of that turned out great. Uh, and it was a, and it's a marvelous backstory to what was a phenomenal picture that was captured on that date. And it, it was on the front page of most of the newspapers in America as a part of the political coverage of that campaign. So it was a, it was a great time. It, it was... Uh, and that was during an era when things were so much different. You had a Republican in the White House. Uh, the Republicans were in the minority, both in the Senate and in the House. So the president really had to double down and work with his allies in the in the Senate. You know his his uh, his political party and and Orrin Hatch was in the thick of things back then uh, with Reagan. Well, because Oren shared the philosophy that the president had, uh, and he's not a shrinking violet, right. uh, he came on strong and became that philosophical and political leader in the Senate for the Reagan cause. And, uh, and, and obviously that carried him to a, a, a position of prominence in the Senate because he was able to forge a lot of legislative initiatives that were consistent with the president's uh, agenda and with the administration's goals as they went forward. After the 76 campaign, what did you do? What, what was your role with Hatch? Did you go go back to Washington? Obviously. I did. I did. Uh, and then we got a, a poll about a year, just short of a year. We, and polls were expensive to do then. It's not like today where you can get them, you know, almost. Right. It's easy to do polls. But these were very expensive. And so we did a poll and we got the poll results back. And it said that, that Hatch had a 64% approval rating among men. But he had a 23% approval rating among women. Now, we thought that that's obviously not possible. Hatch was an, an attractive guy, a handsome guy. Every place we went, women seemed to respect him and, and to applaud him. But it wasn't true in the poll. So we did a follow-up poll, and we found it was worse than we thought because we drilled down as to why. And people thought that the Hatch was arrogant, that, you know, he must – he's always dressed too quickly or in pinch – you know, too – just he's – Too uptight, teams. too right. – yeah. And so we, we, I went back to, to, uh, to Utah here to help prepare the, the image. And then I left the, the office and just went to work on a second campaign. So, so that what, was my role. So how many years were you in D.C. before you came back to two, four? One. One? One. And then you came right back to start working on the campaign. Well, I came back and worked in his office for another half a year. And then we saw that things weren't improving. It needed a political effort. And so I left the, the official staff and went to work on the re-election campaign to see if we could rehabilitate his image. We didn't know if he'd get re-elected, and, uh, given those numbers. What, what, um, what did you do? What did you do to soften, soften him up? Uh, people will remember the Utah Women's Conference. Uh, if, if women were the problem, we had to tell them that Orrin Hatch was a human being, that he was a So that had been a, a going on person. since the beginning. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, it, it required Elaine to be involved. She had to be the leader of it, his wife. Right. And Elaine was, doesn't like the public spotlight. But when, after the first conference, when we convinced her that this was important for her to do, uh, she became immersed in it and, and loved it. And it helped elevate Orrin's stature among women because we, we covered issues that were important to women in those women's conferences. And they went on for, for years. Uh, and, and not after we solved the problem, they still were important because they're issues that were important to women. You, this is a, this is a, uh, a time in, in 1976 and then 1982, I guess, was the, the the next election where where digital media, it just wasn't possible. Um, you had radio, you had television, and and you had 
you know, direct mail and you had the old phone calls. You had actually couldn't do auto dials, robo dials. You had to have volunteers pick up the phone and, and call. And grassroots organizations in neighborhoods. You had to rely on those. Those were important things to elements of a campaign where today you can bypass a lot of that using, you know, more sophisticated media and targeting under social media. Those weren't available then. Yeah, well, uh, fascinating. I I hope I hope you'll come back and do another segment because I know you have. Uh, I personally know many more stories you have that are equally as good to the Reagan Hatch elephant uh, uh, episodes. But uh, thanks for coming, Mac, and uh, it's nice to have you actually in studio since you're uh, usually all over the world and all over the country. And this has been another episode of Stokes and folks. Hey, like us wherever you uh, get your podcast. And I'd like to give a special shout out to uh, our producer today, Tyler Cannon for his work. And we'll hopefully have you listening to us again next week.